Hello and welcome to HipCast, the podcast here to improve hip fracture care. So good afternoon everybody and uh, welcome to our panel discussion around the early mobility of patients post hip fracture. Uh, we've chosen the theme for this panel as the good, the bad and the ugly for fans of the 1966 Italian Spaghetti Western starring Clint Eastwood. Our panel are here to discuss both the individual and system enablers and barriers to early mobility. So the good, the bad, and the ugly. We've got panel members from some of the high achieving facilities in Quality Indicator 5A, Day One Mobilisation, including Gosford, Albany, and Temler. So I might ask the first question of John, our anaesthetic representative on the panel. And so John, what does the ideal early mobility patient look like? And what contribution do our anaesthetic colleagues have in achieving this ideal? Thank you, Brad. I, I think that the ideal um, patient will be one who is orientated to the ward and their situation, or at least there's been no acute deterioration in their cognitive function. There's no delirium. There's, they don't have any nausea and vomiting. They've had their breakfast. They're drinking plenty of fluids. The IV fluids are down. Their urinary catheter is out and they're motivated to get out of bed and get going. They've been seen by the acute pain service who have checked that there's no muscle weakness at the spinal and the fasciolaceae block have worn off, and that they're on regular paracetamol plus PRN oxycodone, or its equivalent, and that the next dose has been timed for the visit of the physiotherapist. Their comorbidities have been addressed by the geriatricians, and they're adequately fluid resuscitated and not unduly anemic. And I think anesthesia has a role to play in almost all these factors. For the anesthetic itself, it's important um, to avoid medications which are known to be associated with delirium and to avoid hypotension intra-op. This is becoming more and more recognized as vital in the prevention of complications post-op. And we manage some comorbidities in the acute settings, such as hypoxia, um, anemia, and dehydration. And this last one is one of the areas where we can have a positive influence. Postural hypertension is very common in this population and is often a barrier to mobilization. But while dehydration is not the only cause, it's an important one and one that's under our control. And then lastly, we're involved um, in managing their analgesia post-op through the acute pain service. And these, I think, breath, are the areas um, where we have most to contribute. So much, John. Uh, Ian, I guess I might put the next next question to you. And certainly, the elective orthopedic world is always looking at ways to decrease length of stay. Uh, from your perspectives, are there any learnings from this that can be applied to our patients with a fractured neck or femur? Yeah, I think so. Um, and it, it's a good point because there has been a, a lot of work in recent years and decades um, looking at. Um, getting people out of hospital sooner after elective hip and knee replacement. And um, a lot of people think, oh, it's a, it's a money-saving thing, and it, in some aspects it is, but it's also an aggressive early mobilisation thing because um, the problems when I started doing my training is that, you know, we would leave people non-weight-bearing for ages. They'd be lying around in hospital for ages. And the DVT rate used to be very, very high, pressure injuries and, and other things. And we've been able to reduce that. And a big part of 
um, reducing the complications after hip and knee replacement has been early mobilization. And I think it's even more important in a hip fracture population than it is in an elective population. And yet we haven't seen the um, aggressive sort of, you know, really early mobilization in the hip fracture setting that we have seen in the elective setting. So what can we, what can we learn? We can learn that it's, it's possible. I mean, huge strides have been made in uh, length of stay and early mobilization in the elective setting. Um, but it's just very difficult to do it. Um, and, and I get frustrated on my own ward when I see people, it's difficult to mobilize them because as, as John said, they've still got the uh, catheter in, they've still got a cannula in, um, and it's, uh, you know, or it's a, it's a weekend, there's not very good coverage or nobody wants to stand them because the physio is not there and only physios can do it. It's just, there's so many sort of obstacles in the way um, that I wonder whether we need something like we have with uh, elective surgery in the hip fracture setting where we have a program like an early recovery after surgery program um, that gets resources put into it and, and targets these people because I think that's what's going to take. Because I was surprised. I used to look at the registry and I was really happy because I could see that um, everyone was being allowed to fully weight bear you know, which is great, you know, 95% or whatever. But so few of them were actually walking on day one, like less than half. So I think that we've got a lot of work to go and we can apply some of the things that we've learned from the elective world to the hip fracture world. And, uh, I guess, Ian, perhaps the first thing the registry has done is to change that question. So we're now able to see... Uh, I guess previously we could see what was offered. Now we're seeing what's the actual practices. A great change there. Yeah, and that's what that's been an eye opener for us, though. <laughs> and I guess Ian, uh, along that lines of the, the sort of elective orthopedic surgery, that that sort of anterior approach, anecdotally, anecdotally here, I guess uh, you know we seem to see those patients that are having a fracture necrofemur fixed by an anterior approach seem to have less pain and get moving faster. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's some evidence in the elective world that there's um, slightly better early function. Um, and now people are applying that anterior approach. It's come across from elective hip replacement to, uh, to the uh, hip fracture population, particularly um, um, those having um, uh, total hip replacement. So, yeah, I think it probably has a role, but uh, to me, the biggest obstacle is just having people and having their, you know, catheter out and their drip out and actually sort of getting them back to normal quicker. Yeah, great. Thanks, Ian. I guess, uh, Joel, uh, we've heard from John, our anaesthetic guru, uh, what the ideal patient looks like presenting back to the ward. Unfortunately, John isn't working today, so... Um, your patient come back has come back from theatre post-surgery. And, and I guess, can you elaborate a little for us on what patient factors are stopping you from attempting day zero mobility with this patient? Um, because true to form, the physiotherapist has taken off early for, for a long weekend and they're, they're gone. So thoughts on that, Joel? You know, true, true. Um, I mean, one thing I will say that our physios do a fantastic job with the wards that we have and, um, and our hip fracture patients. One thing that um, we do try to do here is encourage our nursing staff to get them up mobilising 
um, day one as well, um, regardless of physio. Um, physio, obviously fantastic. Um, but there's a couple of little factors that you, you really need to take into consideration, obviously taking their vitals before they get up. So a lot of the time, sometimes um, patients can have a vasovagal or their blood pressure can drop to their boots. Um, as John and, and Ian were saying, essentially you've got the catheter, you've got lines in, things like that. You've also got um, their pain is a significant one as well. Sometimes some patients, depending on um, their pain levels, they're unable to mobilise or just reluctant to, to, to get up and mobilise. Another one um, that I've found is cognitive impairment as well. So especially even so um, post-op delirium, depending if we've done a general anaesthetic, spinal anaesthetic, um, the delirium is a, is, a, is a big factor. Obviously, if they're not able to follow commands and things like that, it can be quite difficult to get them up and mobilising. Um, but uh, there are a couple of the issues that we've found. Um, but one thing we do um, try and do here, I've got a little thing that I do here at 11 o'clock roll call. So anyone that has had a procedure, go around and see them before 11 o'clock and make sure they're up for their meals. Um, trying to motivate and encourage those patients to get up. And one thing I do when I'm doing a consult for a patient pre-op is making sure that they're aware of that. Obviously, if they're cognitive impaired, making sure that they're aware that um, they need to be up and moving. That's ideally, it's best to be mobilising as much as possible in order for them to get those muscles, you know, accustomed to that newfound hardware. Um, but more so, um, sorry, getting back to your question is, yeah, pain is a big one, catheter. Um, obviously having those lines and drains in um, and cognitive impairment as well, pain. That's a, a really important uh, point you raised there around cognitive impairment, John. Mm. I, get, I guess we've got the, uh, the, the need to provide the best possible care to the patient uh, and sometimes uh, the other consideration there is the safety of our staff as well. And, and yeah, absolutely. As a, as a physiotherapist, I guess, um, who's had a previous back injury, it's probably the group of patients that I'm, I'm, I'm most worried about is those with cognitive impairments. Your thoughts there? It's more just because, yeah, they're, they're so reluctant to, and they don't know it, but they're so reluctant to obviously follow those commands and things like that. So it does make put a lot of more pressure on you to a little bit more, what's the right word I'm trying to look for? They're a lot heavier to look after and a lot heavier to try and get them to um, mobilise independently. Um, whether it be on the forearm support frame, um, obviously we try not to use a Sarah Steady, um, but if it needs to be done, but it is. But obviously with the registry, obviously Sarah Steady isn't a, a no-go. We want to get them up mobilising the forearm. I know a lot of our orthopods um, try and encourage the use of no for forearm support frames. We want to use the, the pickup frame or the forearm, sorry, the four-wheel walker um, as, as, as early as possible. But not all of them, but a couple of our, our orthopods try and encourage that. Um, but yeah, it can be quite difficult, that cognitive impairment, definitely. And that you'll find, I've found when entering into the registry, a lot of the times the opportunity is given, but the patient's reluctant to mobilise. Yeah, I guess the, the point that Ian raised earlier. Mm. Thanks. You hit the nail on the head, Ian. <laughs> uh, Thomas, the, the patient doesn't get out of bed day zero. Uh, and luckily, you're there to review them early the next morning. And I guess the question we're posing to you is, is there a quick fix to any of the problems that Joel's mentioned? Or have we kind of missed the boat with this patient? Um, sometimes there's a quick fix, um, and I, but I certainly don't think we've missed the boat. Um, the, um, but if we let some of those issues drag on to days two, three, and four, then I think we really have missed the boat. So really, now the opportunity is to, uh, is to identify some of those barriers, uh, some of which, which Joel's alluded to in cognitive impairment being one of them, 
uh, and uh, and formulate a plan. And that um, um, uh, and I think it's hard to be too didactic about what um, what needs to be done. I think approaches need to be individualized. Um, and that's why it's a good idea to have a, a, a system where you are able to uh, communicate and coordinate with uh, other team members who are on the ward. Because now we're sort of starting to transition a little bit away from a, uh, a surgical patient, but now recognising this is a, a, a frail older medical patient who's just had a surgical procedure. And so now these sorts of things are starting to come into play. So, um, um, so look, we need to identify acute problems, which could be a delirium on top of um, dementia, as well as a lot of other medical or surgical problems which could be starting to arise. Um, but also, I think the importance is also to contextualise this patient. And I think this is why it's important to, uh, for, for geriatricians and other clinicians to assess and have a handle on the patient even before they've reached the operating table. Because if you've, if you've had the opportunity to understand the comorbidities uh, and the, the ability of these older patients before you see them on day one, then you're already ahead of the game um, in terms of formulating a plan to get them up and going. Yes, it's the, the benefit there, Thomas, of the uh, uh, notification of the geriatrician or also geriatrician of the patient presenting to the emergency department so that earlier warning the better uh, you can be seeing these guys. Yeah, that's right. So uh, built into, um, uh, I think this uh, highlights the importance of systems um, uh, and, and, uh, and the coordination of team members within those systems. Um, so the screening that takes place, particularly identifying people who've got cognitive impairment, uh, who are malnourished, uh, who am and have debility-related issues, uh, and the list goes on and on, is really important um, because if, if, if those sorts of uh, uh, problems are identified early, then they can be proactively managed. Uh, and, and I think it's really helped in our hospital in terms of um, having pathways, uh, which are the nurse-led pathway, but it helps people get onto the same page in terms of what needs to be done when, um, and it certainly made my job an awful lot easier. Yeah, great, Thomas. Thank you. Uh, and I guess we've talked a bit so far about the many patient factors that support or delay early mobility. In your experience, are there any system or service delivery factors that contribute to the delays in early mobility with these with this particular patient group? Thanks, Brett. Um, they definitely they definitely are. In in my experience, some of the service demands that limit our ability with early mobilisation day one is our physio and nursing staff levels, and this is further exacerbated on the weekends with further reduction in staffing. It often means for our patients that they only get one attempt per day throughout this day. Um, we've already touched on the fact that sometimes day one mobilisation and even just sitting them out of bed can fall to the sole role of the physio. Um, and the prolonged wait for surgery, um, especially when they're repeatedly fasted and cancelled, which we've already touched on in our previous presentations. Um, in regard to our physio staffing levels and the demands that are placed on our service, we obviously have competing demands with a, you know, an elective caseload with, um, you know, estimated tight length of stays. We've got discharges that we need to do. Um, and then that staffing, the physio staffing is further reduced on the weekend. So that physio has a greater, greater caseload 
the day ones will always be seen, but it means we have less time to spend with them and they'll definitely only get seen once. It also means we've got minimal capacity to do a preoperative assessment of this patients, of these patients. So we don't get to set those expectations like Joel was talking about, as you will mobilize day one you know, this is what this is what to expect. Um, and we often can't do a preoperative respiratory assessment to identify those patients at greater risk of complications. And we often don't have assistance on the weekend. So we have to rely on our nursing colleagues who already have very busy caseloads. Um, with regards to the day one mobilisation and sitting out of bed, it definitely doesn't always happen. As Joel already spoke about, our CNCs and CNEs have done a lot of work, put a lot of time and effort into educating and empowering our nursing staff. But some of the barriers are nursing confidence. You have high nursing turnover, um, different varying levels of experience, especially when you have NOF fractures that sit on outlying wards. These nursing staff are not used to dealing with these patients. Um, so in my experience, it makes a massive difference. If these patients are already up sitting out of bed when we go to see them, the chance of us actually being able to get them to mobilise and take some steps is much greater when they're already up, they're alert, they know what's going to happen. And yeah, it gives time for that initial physiological response that they get when they get up. They get heaps of pain, often their blood pressure will drop, but they're sitting and all of those factors have stabilised. And with a prolonged time to wait for them to get to surgery, especially if they're repeatedly fasted, they're sitting there, they're deconditioning, they're getting weaker, the delirium rates are going up, the postural BP issues get exacerbated and the respiratory complications get worse. So the longer they wait, the harder they are to get moving. Um, I guess as everyone has touched on, if there was a pathway where we could collaborate with our teams a lot better, I think this could be the answer to a lot of our a lot of our challenges, a lot of our barriers. Thanks, Emma. I guess uh, listening to your talk there uh, and the comments that Joel made earlier, um, you know, maybe there's a place for a combination of the, the serosteady being used to get the patient from the bed to the chair uh, and, and, you know, then physiotherapy involvement or physio and nursing involvement to commence that sort of mobilisation process. Yeah, definitely. Uh, don't, don't rule it out yet. I love the serosteady. Uh, and, and then Sarah, uh, I guess as one of the exemplar sites in this sort of in this uh, section of the hip fracture registry, um, you guys successfully mobilised over eight percent of your patients day one post surgery. We'd be really interested to hear what you and your team have done to counter some of these system barriers, systems barriers that Emma just spoke about for early mobility. Um, we do lots of planning, so um, multidisciplinary teams, we always have that early rapid round. So you kind of get a lot of information about how your patient is overnight, um, whether they got sleep, how their pain's going um, from the nursing staff, which is really great. The orthopedic team actually come to the rapid rounds as well. So if there were any medical issues or um, reasons that, um, that you couldn't get them up, like you'd, you'd know about all of this early. Um, then you can plan your day so that if you um, are going to see the patients with, um, that do have a lot of pain, you'd wait for the APS review to optimise the patient. Uh, in Tamworth, we're pretty lucky because um, we have a wardsman and most of our patients, like um, unless they're in ICU, do come to the orthopaedic ward um, with the fractured NOFs. So we do have excellent nursing staff and the CNC is extremely good at making sure that um, all of the new nurses are trained to know that to wash the patient's catheters out, um, get the pain relief in early so that we can get them up. Um, I'm pro-therosteady in terms of um, space and restrictions on our ward in, for the first time, just to get them into a chair before you can get them up and, and get them um, mobilising. 
because um, if they're sitting on the edge of a care wave, sometimes it's really hard um, to get them to stand up because the care wave is un unsteady and, and hard to move. So sometimes we do use the Sarasteti just as an uh, assessment tool to see how well they took weight, um, whether they were able to step with the Sarasteti and then pop them in the chair and grab a frame and, and go from there. Um, but yep, definitely a good team approach and our consultants are, are pro early mobilization. We even have one that comes in on the evening shift to do our joint replacements and, and walk them um, when we've obviously gone home <laughs> for the day. Interesting, Sarah. I remember having an ethicist, John, come down and help me with a day one uh, mobilization, not suggesting that uh, should be the norm, but uh, it certainly highlights the importance of teamwork, doesn't it? Absolutely. Just uh, looking at a couple of questions that have come in, and, and the first one, I guess, is uh, a comment as well as a question. So older people with a hip fracture are older and often frailer than elective patients. Adequate time to address fears and concerns, rewalking early is important. Um, so Emma, do you want to, uh, any response to that? Yeah, absolutely. The amount of people that are really surprised when you say, we will see you day one and we will get you up and walking. The response from the patient and the family is often horror initially. How can you do this to me straight away? <laughs> but one, if you set that expectation and explain the importance and, you know, it gets you home quicker, it gets you to rehab quicker, you'll retain, you'll regain your strength a lot quicker and you explain them. A lot of people are really willing to get, to get going quicker. They just, they need to be prepared mentally. <laughs> It, uh, it, it leads into the, uh, the next sort of comment that's uh, proving quite popular on Slido, which is the management of expectations is important with patients and families. And should we talk more about what will occur post-surgery? And, and Joel, I guess that's something that you are doing with your patients regularly? Um, yeah, so that's one thing that um, I, I do uh, I do. do. Um, so Monday to Friday, I go and see all our hip fractures. So anyone that comes in, usually um, we'll go to ED in the first instance. Uh, at the moment, we can't with the COVID um, being a red zone. But generally, yes, um, seeing them preoptively, pre not just going through mobilisation, but everything as well. Um, anaesthetics, the procedure itself, um, and just giving them a clear a clear rundown of basically you've fractured your hip. This is what's going to happen from this point onward and your whole journey and the whole process to when you're being discharged. Um, also, um, as Emma touched on too, like obviously we try and get patients, letting them know that we try and get them home independently day, um, sorry, get them home independently first. If we can't, then we go home with services and then we go to rehab. A lot of times if I start with rehab first, um, no disrespect to the males, but the males seem to be a little bit more inclined. Um, but uh, more so... Um, you start off with that rehab, then they sort of think, oh, I'm not going to get out of bed. I'm just going to go straight to rehab. But you want to get them not thinking that mindset and thinking, okay, excellent. We need to be getting up day one. We need those muscles adjusting to the newfound hardware. Um, and also as well, utilizing family members as well is a really uh, important key that I find um, that I do use. Um, I try and when I see the patient, I try and obviously um, with COVID is a bit different. Um, but now that we have visitors back again, having the family there present as well, they're always a good encouragement. Um, for the patient as well. Um, but yeah, definitely going through everything from A to Z in regards to their entire journey, mobilization being one of them, and just setting that expectation quite high, letting them know that, you know, instead of, for example, nursing staff, instead of saying, you know, do you want to get up today? It's, it's we're, we're going to have a shower today. We're going to get up and that not giving them that option to say, oh, I don't really feel like it at all without sounding rude or horrible <laughs> at all. But um, yeah, setting that expectation from preoperatively um, does help, I find, post-operatively. A, a lot to be said for us all singing off the same song sheet. Uh, Ian, it's amazing the difference if the surgeon turns up 
uh, day zero or day one to say, and now you'll be getting out of bed. I, I presume that's you know definitely encouraged from your perspective. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, we're still living in a world where patients, particularly the elderly patients, um, will tend to do what the surgeon says um, <laughs> more than they do others. It's it's a shame, but um, yeah, it does help and. Um, it's been a help in our unit to have, although we haven't had them since lockdown, these multidisciplinary ward rounds where every day there's a surgeon who comes around with the team. Um, you know, I, I think it helps to have the whole team there. You've got the head nurse comes around, your physio, everybody just encouraging them and reinforcing within the importance of early mobilisation. Um, uh, yeah, I think it helps. There's a comment here on Slido that having a catheter in shouldn't be a barrier to mobilising. Um, it, should, it shouldn't. Patients <laughs> with catheters in. Uh, but there's certainly uh, some uh, positives to not having a catheter in, having to walk to the toilet. Yeah. Isn't there? yeah, yeah. And then one more on uh, linking pain meds with their purpose, i.e. the pain meds are about getting up and moving. John, I presume that's something that uh, the acute pain service would be encouraging also. Definitely. The, it's. So it's it's a balance, um, um, but but um, our patients need pain relief to get up, especially on day one. We did um, we did a little audit of um, of the of the patients who failed to mobilise last year, and pain was one of the big four factors where they um, where they just said it was too painful and they weren't able to get up. And then you know like if if they get their um, pain relief then they may have missed their chance because of staffing levels and um, people not able to come back and see them again. And um, so, so I think um, if, they, if they can get their pain relief, I know it's really difficult, but if they can get their pain relief um, timed um, so that they've, they've had some before the physio arrives, then that would be, a, that would be um, fitting with my ideal patient. Absolutely. I think uh, that might bring us to the end of our time slot for this uh, particular session. I'd like to thank you all for taking part in what's been a very informative uh, panel discussion uh, and I think probably one that uh, will go on generating discussion for many years to come. Thank you all.